section seven of the fortunes of nigel by sir walter scott this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter five wherefore come ye not to court certain tis the rarest sport there are silks and jewels glistening prattling fools and wise men listening bullies among brave men justling beggars amongst nobles bustling low-breathed talkers minion lispers cutting honest throats by whispers wherefore come ye not to court skelton swears tis glorious sport skelton skeltonizeth it was not entirely out of parade that the benevolent citizen was mounted and attended in that manner which as the reader has been informed excited a gentle degree of spleen on the part of dame christie which to do her justice vanished in the little soliloquy which we have recorded the good man besides the natural desire to maintain the exterior of a man of worship was at present bound to whitehall in order to exhibit a piece of valuable workmanship to king james which he deemed his majesty might be pleased to view or even to purchase he himself was therefore mounted upon his caparisoned mule that he might the better make his way through the narrow dirty and crowded streets and while one of his attendants carried under his arm the piece of plate wrapped up in red baize the other too gave an eye to its safety for such was then the state of the police of the metropolis that men were often assaulted in the public street for the sake of revenge or of plunder and those who apprehended being beset usually endeavoured if their estate admitted such expense to secure themselves by the attendance of armed followers and this custom which was at first limited to the nobility and gentry extended by degrees to those citizens of consideration who being understood to travel with a charge as it was called might otherwise have been selected as safe subjects of plunder by the street robber as master george harriet paced forth westward with this gallant attendance he paused at the shop-door of his countryman and friend the ancient horologer and having caused tunstall who was in attendance to adjust his watch by the real time he desired to speak with his master in consequence of which summons the old time meter came forth from his den his face like a bronze bust darkened with dust and glistening here and there with copper filings and his senses so bemused and in the intensity of calculation that he gazed on his friend the goldsmith for a minute before he seemed perfectly to comprehend who he was and heard him express his invitation to david ramsay and pretty mistress margaret his daughter to dine with him next day at noon to meet with a noble young countryman without returning any answer i'll make thee speak with a moraine to thee muttered harriet to himself and suddenly changing his tone he said aloud i pray you neighbour david when are you and i to have a settlement for the bullion wherewith i supplied you to mount yonder hall clock at theobald's and that other whirligig that you made for the duke of buckingham i've had the spanish house to satisfy for the ingots and i must needs put you in mind that you have been eight months behindhand there is something so sharp and aigle in the demand of a peremptory dun 
that no human tympanum however inaccessible to other tones can resist the application david ramsay started at once from his reverie and answered in a pettish tone wow george man what needs aw this din about sax score o pounds aw the world kens i can answer aw claims on me and you proffer yourself fair time till his maist gracious majesty and the noble duke should make settled accounts with me and ye may ken by your ain experience that i canna gang routing like an unmannered highland stot to their doors as ye come to mine harriet laughed and replied well david i see a demand of money is like a bucket of water about your ears and makes you a man of the world at once and now friend will you tell me like a christian man if you will dine with me to-morrow at noon and bring pretty mistress margaret my goddaughter with you to meet with our noble young countryman the lord of glenvarlock the young lord of glenvarlock said the old mechanist wit all my heart and blithe i will be to see him again we have not met these forty years he was twey years before me at the humanity classes he is a sweet youth that was his father his father his father you old dotard dot and carry one that you are answered the goldsmith a sweet youth he would have been by this time had he lived worthy nobleman this is his son the lord nigel his son said ramsay maybe he will want something of a chronometer or watch few gallants care to be without them nowadays he may buy half your stock and trade if ever he comes to his own for what i know said his friend but david remember your bond and use me not as you did when my housewife had the sheep's head and the cock a leaky boiling for you as late as two of the clock afternoon she had the more credit by her cookery answered david now fully awake a sheep's head over boiled were poison according to our saying well answered master george but as there will be no sheep's head to-morrow it may chance you to spoil a dinner which a proverb cannot mend it may be you may foregather with your friend sir mungo mala Grother, for i propose to ask his worship so be sure and bide tryst davy that will i i will be true as a chronometer said ramsay i will not trust you though replied harriet hear you jenkin boy tell scott's janet to tell pretty mistress margaret my god shall she must put her father in remembrance to put on his best doublet to-morrow and to bring him to lombard street at noon tell her they are to meet a brave young scots lord jenkin coughed that sort of dry short cough uttered by those who are either charged with errands which they do not like or hear opinions to which they must not enter a dissent humph repeated master george who as we have already noticed was something of a martinet in domestic discipline what does humph mean will you do mine errand or not sir sure master george harriet said the apprentice touching his cap only meant that mistress margaret was not likely to forget such an invitation why no said master george she is a dutiful girl to her godfather though i sometimes call her a jill flirt and hark ye jenkin you and your comrade had best come with your clubs to see your master and her safely home but first shut shop and loose the bulldog and let the porter stay in the forest shop till your return i will send two of my knaves with you for i hear these wild youngsters of the temple are broken out worse and lighter than ever we can keep their steel in order with good hand bats said jenkin and never trouble your servants for the matter or if need be said tunstall we have swords as well as the templars fie upon it fie upon it young man said the citizen an apprentice with a sword merry heaven forfend 
i would as soon see him in a hat and feather well sir said jenkin we will find arms fitting to our station and will defend our master and his daughter if we should tear up the very stones of the pavement there spoke a london prentice bold said the citizen and for your comfort my lads you shall crush a cup of wine to the health of the fathers of the city i have my eye on both of you you are thriving lads each in his own way god be with you davy forget not to-morrow at noon and so saying he again turned his mule's head westward and crossed temple bar at that slow and decent amble which at once became his rank and civic importance and put his pedestrian followers to no inconvenience to keep up with him at the temple gate he again paused dismounted and sought his way into one of the small booths occupied by scriveners in the neighbourhood a young man with lank smooth hair combed straight to his ears and then cropped short rose with a cringing reverence pulled off a slouched hat which he would upon no signal replace on his head and answered with much demonstration of reverence to the goldsmith's question of how goes business andrew all the better for your worship's kind countenance and maintenance get a large sheet of paper man and make a new pen with a sharp neb and fine hair-stroke do not slit the quill up too high it's a waste of course in your trade andrew they that do not mind corn-pickles never come to fourpence i have known a learned man write a thousand pages with one quill a biblical commentary by gill which if the author's memory serves him occupies between five and six hundred printed quarto pages and must therefore have filled more pages of manuscript than the number mentioned in the text has this quatrain at the end of the volume with one good pen i wrote this book made of a grey goose quill a pen it was when it i took and a pen i leave it still ah sir said the lad who listened to the goldsmith though instructing him in his own trade with an air of veneration and acquiescence how soon only poor creature like Marcel may rise in the world with the instruction of such a man as your worship my instructions are few andrew soon told and not hard to practise be honest be industrious be frugal and you will soon win wealth and worship here copy me this supplication in your best and most formal hand i will wait by you till it is done the youth lifted not his eye from the paper and laid not the pen from his hand until the task was finished to his employer's satisfaction the citizen then gave the young scrivener an angel and bidding him on his life be secret in all business entrusted to him again mounted his mule and rode on westward along the strand it may be worth while to remind our readers that the temple bar which harriet passed was not the arched screen or gateway of the present day but an open railing or palisade which at night and in times of alarm was closed with a barricade of posts and chains the strand also along which he rode was not as now a continued street although it was beginning already to assume that character it still might be considered as an open road along the south side of which stood various houses and hotels belonging to the nobility having gardens behind them down to the waterside with stairs to the river for the convenience of taking boat which mansions have bequeathed the names of their lordly owners to many of the streets leading from the strand to the thames the north side of the strand was also a long line of houses behind which as in st martin's lane and other points buildings were rapidly arising but covent garden was still a garden in the literal sense of the word or at least beginning to be studded with irregular buildings all that was passing around however marked the rapid increase of a capital which had long enjoyed peace wealth and a regular government houses were rising in every direction and the shrewd eye of our citizen already saw 
the period not distant which should convert the nearly open highway on which he travelled into a connected and regular street uniting the court in the town with the city of london he next passed charing cross which was no longer the pleasant solitary village at which the judges were wont to breakfast on their way to westminster hall but began to resemble the artery through which to use johnson's expression pours the full tide of london population the buildings were rapidly increasing yet certainly gave not even a faint idea of its present appearance at last whitehall received our traveller who passed under one of the beautiful gates designed by holbein and composed of tessellated brickwork being the same to which Monopolies had profanely likened the west port of edinburgh and entered the ample precincts of the palace of whitehall now full of all the confusion attending improvement it was just at the time when james little suspecting that he was employed in constructing a palace from the window of which his only son was to pass in order that he might die upon a scaffold before it was busied in removing the ancient and ruinous buildings of deborah henry the eighth and queen elizabeth to make way for the superb architecture on which inigo jones exerted all his genius the king ignorant of futurity was now engaged in pressing on his work and for that purpose still maintained his royal apartments at whitehall amidst the rubbish of old buildings and the various confusion attending the erection of the new pile which formed at present a labyrinth not easily traversed the goldsmith to the royal household and who if fame spoke true oftentimes acted as their banker for these professions were not as yet separated from each other was a person of too much importance to receive the slightest interruption from sentinel or porter in leaving his mule and two of his followers in the outer court he gently knocked at a postern gate of the building and was presently admitted while the most trusty of his attendants followed him closely with the piece of plate under his arm this man also he left behind him in an anteroom where three or four pages in the royal livery but untrussed unbuttoned and dressed more carelessly than the place and nearness to a king's person seemed to admit were playing at dice and draughts or stretched upon benches and slumbering with half-shut eyes a corresponding gallery which opened from the ante-room was occupied by two gentlemen ushers of the chamber who gave each a smile of recognition as the wealthy goldsmith entered no word was spoken on either side but one of the ushers looked first to harriet and then to a little door half covered by the tapestry which seemed to say as plain as a look could lies your business that way the citizen nodded and the court attendant moving on tiptoe and with as much caution as if the floor had been paved with eggs advanced to the door opened it gently and spoke a few words in a low tone the broad scottish accent of king james was heard in reply admit him instanter maxwell have you hair-board say lang at the court and not learn that gold and silver are ever welcome the usher signed to harriet to advance and the honest citizen was presently introduced into the cabinet of the sovereign the scene of confusion amid which he found the king seated was no bad picture of the state and quality of james's own mind there was much that was rich and costly in cabinet pictures and valuable ornaments but they were arranged in a slovenly manner covered with dust and lost half their value or at least their effect from the manner in which they were presented to the eye the table was loaded with huge folios amongst which lay light books of jest and ribaldry and amongst notes of immersively long orations and essays on kingcraft were mingled miserable roundels and ballads by the royal prentice as he styled himself in the art of poetry and schemes for the general pacification of europe with a list of the names of the king's hounds and remedies against canine madness the king's dress was of green velvet quilted so full as to be dagger-proof which gave him the appearance of clumsy and ungainly protuberance 
while its being buttoned awry communicated to his figure an air of distortion over his green doublet he wore a sad-coloured nightgown out of the pocket of which peeped his hunting-horn his high-crowned grey hat lay on the floor covered with dust but encircled by carcinet of large blah rubies and he wore a blue velvet nightcap in the front of which was placed the plume of a heron which had been struck down by a favourite hawk in some critical moment of the flight in remembrance of which the king wore this highly honoured feather but such inconsistencies in dress and appointments were mere outward types of those which existed in the royal character rendering it a subject of doubt amongst his contemporaries and bequeathing it as a problem to future historians he was deeply learned without possessing useful knowledge sagacious in many individual cases without having real wisdom fond of his power and desirous to maintain and augment it yet willing to resign the direction of that and of himself to the most unworthy favourites a big and bold asserter of his rights in words yet one who tamely saw them trampled on in deeds a lover of negotiations in which he was always outwitted and one who feared war where conquest might have been easy he was fond of his dignity while he was perpetually degrading it by undue familiarity capable of much public labour yet often neglecting it for the meanest amusement a wit though a pedant and a scholar though fond of the conversation of the ignorant and uneducated even his timidity of temper was not uniform and there were moments of his life in those critical in which he showed the spirit of his ancestors he was laborious in trifles and a trifler where serious labour was required devout in his sentiments and yet too often profane in his language just and beneficent by nature he yet gave way to the iniquities and oppression of others he was penurious respecting money which he had to give from his own hand yet inconsiderately and unboundedly profuse of that which he did not see in a word those good qualities which displayed themselves in particular cases and occasions were not of a nature sufficiently firm and comprehensive to regulate his general conduct and showing themselves as they occasionally did only entitled james to the character bestowed on him by sully that he was the wisest fool in christendom that the fortunes of this monarch might be as little of a piece as his character he is certainly the least able of the stuarts succeeded peaceably to that kingdom against the power of which his predecessors had with so much difficulty defended his native throne and lastly although his reign appeared calculated to ensure to great britain that lasting tranquillity and internal peace which so much suited the king's disposition yet during that very reign were sown those seeds of dissension which like the teeth of a fabulous dragon had their harvest in a bloody and universal civil war such was the monarch who saluting harriet by the name of jingling geordie for it was his well-known custom to give nicknames to all those with whom he was on terms of familiarity inquired what new clatter traps he had brought with him to cheat his lawful and native prince out of his siller god forbid my liege said the citizen that i should have any such disloyal purpose i did but bring a piece of plate to show to your most gracious majesty which both for the subject and for the workmanship i were loath to put into the hands of any subject until i knew your majesty's pleasure anent it body of me man let's see it harriet though by my saul steenie's service of plate was say dear a bargain i had maced pawn my word as a royal king to keep my ain gold and silver in future and let you geordie keep yours respecting the duke of buckingham's plate said the goldsmith your majesty was pleased to direct that no expense should be spared and what signifies what i desired man when a wise man is with fools and barons he bon e'en play at the chucks but you should have had mere sense and consideration and to gee baby charles and steenie their ain gate 
they wad hey floored the very rooms wi' silver and i wonder they didna george harriet bowed and said no more he knew his master too well to vindicate himself otherwise than by a distant allusion to his order and james with whom economy was only a transient and momentary twinge of conscience became immediately afterwards desirous to see the piece of plate which the goldsmith proposed to exhibit and dispatched maxwell to bring it to his presence in the meantime he demanded of the citizen whence he had procured it from italy may it please your majesty replied harriet it has nothing in it tending to papistry said the king looking graver than his wont surely not please your majesty said harriet i were not wise to bring anything to your presence that had the mark of the beast you would be the mere beast yourself to do so said the king it is weel kenned that i wrestled with dagon in my youth and smote him on the ground-sill of his own temple a good evidence that i should be in time called however unworthy the defender of the faith but here comes maxwell bending under his burden like the golden ass of apuleius harriet hastened to relieve the usher and to place the embossed salver for which it was and of extraordinary dimensions in a light favourable for his majesty's viewing the sculpture saul of my body man said the king it is a curious piece and as i think fit for a king's chalmer and the subject as you say master george bare adequate and beseeming being as i see the judgment of solomon a prince in whose paths it wheel becomes a leaving monarchs to walk with emulation but whose footsteps said maxwell only one of them if a subject may say so much hath ever overtaken hard your tongue for a false fleeching loon said the king but with a smile on his face that showed the flattery had done its part look at the bonny piece of workmanship and hard your clavering tongue and ways handiwork may it be geordie it was wrought sir replied the goldsmith by the famous florentine benvenuto cellini and designed for francis the first of france but i hope it will find a fitter master francis of france said the king send solomon king of the jews to francis of france body of me man he would have kithed cellini mad had he never done anything else out of the gate francis why he was a fighting fool man a mere fighting fool got himself taen at pavia like our ain david at durham lang syne if they could ha sent him solomon's wit and a love of peace and godliness they wad ha done him a better turn but solomon should sit in other gate company than francis of france i trust that such will be his good fortune said harry it is a curious and very artificial sculpture said the king in continuation but yet methinks the carnifex or executioner there is brandishing his gully hour near the king's face seeing he is within reach of his weapon i think less wisdom than solomon's wad have taught him that there was danger in edge tools and they wad have bidden the snake either sheath his shabble or stand farther back george harried endeavoured to alleviate this objection by assuring the king that the vicinity betwixt solomon and the executioner was nearer in appearance than in reality and that the perspective should be allowed for gang to the deal wi your perspective man said the king there cannot be a wower perspective for a lawful king wha wishes to reign and live and die in peace and honour than to have naked swords flashing in his een i am accounted as brave as maist folks and yet i profess to ye i could never look on a bare blade without blinking and winking but of the giver it is a brave piece and what is the price of it man the goldsmith replied by observing that it was not his own property but that of a distressed countryman will you mean to mak your excuse for asking the double of its worth i warrant answered the king i ken the tricks of you burrows town merchants man i have no hopes of baffling your majesty's sagacity said harriet the piece is really what i say and the price a hundred and fifty pounds sterling if it pleases your majesty to make present payment a hundred and fifty 
funds man and his money witches and warlocks to raise them said the irritated monarch my saul jingling geordie ye are minded that your purse shall jingle to a bonny tune how am i to tell you down a hundred and fifty poons for what will not weigh as many mercs and ye ken that my very household servitors and the officers of my mouth are sax months in arrear the goldsmith stood his ground against all this objurgation being what he was well accustomed to and only answered that if his majesty liked the piece and desired to possess it the price could be easily settled it was true that the party required the money but he george harriet would advance it on his majesty's account if such were his pleasure and wait his royal conveniency for payment for that and other matters the money meanwhile lying at the ordinary usage by my honour said james and that is speaking like an honest and reasonable tradesman we maun get another subsidy frae the commons and that will make a compting of it away with maxwell away with and let it be set where steenie and baby charles shall see it as they return from richmond and now that we are secret my good old friend geordie i do truly opine that speaking of solomon and ourselves the hale wisdom in the country left scotland when we took our travels to the southland here george here it was courtier enough to say that the wise naturally follow the wisest as stags follow their leader troth i think there is something in what thou sayest said james for we ourselves and those of our court and household as thou thyself for example are allowed by the english for as self-opinioned as they are to pass for reasonable good wits but the brains of those we have left behind are all astir and run clean hurdy-gurdy like say many warlocks and witches on the devil's sabbath even i am sorry to hear this my liege said harriet may it please your grace to say what our countrymen have done to deserve such a character they are become frantic man clean brain crazed answered the king i cannot keep them out of the court by all the proclamations that the heralds roar themselves hoarse with yesterday nay farther gain just as we were mounted and about to ride forth and rushed a thorough edinburgh gutter blood a ragged rascal every dud upon whose back was bidding good day to the other with a coat and hat that would have served a peace bogle and without havings or reverence thrust into our hands like a sturdy beggar some supplication about debts owing by our gracious mother and such like trash whereat the horse bangs on in and but for our admirable sitting wherein we have been thought to excel maced sovereign princes as well as subjects in europe i promise you we would have been laid and lang on the causeway your majesty said harriet is their common father and therefore they are the bolder to press into your gracious presence i ken i am pater patria well enough said james but one would think they had a mind to squeeze my puddings out that they may divide the inheritance oods death geordie there is not a loon among them can deliver a supplication as it should be done in the face of majesty i would i knew the most fitting and beseeming mode to do so said harriet were it but to instruct our poor countrymen in better fashions by my hallidome said the king ye are a civilized fellow geordie and i carenna if i fling away as much time as may teach ye and first see you sir ye shall approach the presence of majesty thus shadowing your eyes with your hand to testify that you are in the presence of the vicegerent of heaven very weel george that is done in a comely manner then sir ye shall kneel and make as if ye would kiss the hem of our garment the latch of our shoe or such like very weel enacted Wilk we as being willing to be debonair and pleasing towards our lieges prevent thus and motion to you to rise Wilk having a boon to ask as yet you obey not but gliding your hand into your pouch bring forth your supplication and place it reverentially in our open palm the goldsmith who had complied with great accuracy 
with all the prescribed points of the ceremonial here completed it to james's no small astonishment by placing in his hand the petition of the lord of glenvarlock what means this ye foul saloon said he reddening and sputtering hey ye i have been teaching you the manual exercise that ye should present your peace at our ain royal body now by this light i had as lief that ye had bended a real pistolet against me and yet this hey ye done in my very cabinet where naught should enter but at my ain pleasure i trust your majesty said harriet as he continued to kneel will forgive my exercising the lesson you condescended to give me in the behalf of a friend of a friend said the king so much the war so much the war i tell you if it had been something to do yourself good there would have been some sense in it and some chance that you would not have come back on me in a hurry but a man may have a hundred friends and petitions for every ane of them ilk ane after other your majesty i trust that harriet will judge me by former experience and will not suspect me of such presumption i canna said the placable monarch the world goes daft i think said semel insanivimus omnis thou art my old and faithful servant that is the truth and weren't anything for thy own behoof man thou shouldst not ask twice but trot steenie loves me so dearly that he cares not that any one should ask favours of me but himself maxwell for the usher had re-entered after having carried off the plate get into the antechamber we your lang lugs in conscience geordie i think is that thou hast been mine ain old fiduciary and wert my goldsmith when i might say with the ethnic poet non mea renidet indomo lacanar for faith they had pillaged my mither's old house say that beech and bickers and dream trenchers and latin platters were whiles the best at our board and glad we were of something to put on them without quarrelling with the metal of the dishes do you mind for thou wert in maist of our complots how we were fain to send sacks of the blue banders to harry the lady of logan houses dalcot and poultry-yard and what an awful plaint the poor dame made against jock of milch and the thieves of annandale well were as sackless of the deed as i am of the sin of murder it was the better for jock said harriet for if i remember weel it saved him from a strapping up at dumfries which he had weel deserved for other misdeeds ay man mind ye that said the king but he had other virtues for he was a tight huntsman moreover that jock of milch and could hollow to a hound till all the woods rang again but he came to an annandale end at the last for lord tor thorwald run his lance out through him cock snails man when i think of those wild passages in my conscience i am not sure but we live merrier in old holy root in those shifting days than now when we are dwelling at heck and manger can tobit vacuous we had but little to care for and if your majesty please to remember said the goldsmith the awful task we had to gather silver vessel and gold work enough to make shum show before the spanish ambassador true, said the king now in a full tide of gossip and i mind not the name of the right leal lord that helped us with every unce he had in his house that his native prince might have some credit in the eyes of them that had the indies at their beck i think if your majesty said the citizen will cast your eye on the paper in your hand you will recollect his name ay said the king say ye say man lord glenvarlock that was his name indeed justus et tinax propositi a just man but as obstinate as a baited bull he stood whiles against us that lord randall oliphant of glenvarlock but he was a loving and a leal subject in the main but this supplicator mon be his son 
randall has been long gone where king and lord must go geordie as weel as the like of you and what does his son want with us the settlement answered the citizen of a large debt due by your majesty's treasury for money advanced to your majesty in great state emergency about the time of the raider ruthven i mind the thing weel said king james odds death man i was just out of the clutches of the master of gloms and his complices and there was never siller mare welcome to a born prince the mare the shame and pity that round king should need a sick a petty sum but what need he done us for man like a baxter at the breaking we ought him the siller and we'll pay him with our convenience or make it otherwise up to him wilk is he now between prince and subject we are not in metiatione fugi man to be arrested thus peremptorily alas and it please your majesty said the goldsmith shaking his head it is the poor young nobleman's extreme necessity and not his will that makes him importunate for he must have money and that briefly to discharge a debt due to peregrine peterson conservator of the privileges at camp vere or his hale hereditary barony and estate of glenvarlock will be evicted in virtue of an unredeemed wadset how say ye man how say ye exclaimed the king impatiently the carl of a conservator the son of a low dutch skipper evict the old estate and lordship of the house of oliphant god's bread man that maun not be we maun suspend the diligence by writ of favour or otherwise i doubt that may hardly be answered the citizen if it please your majesty your learned counsel in the law of scotland advise that there is no remede but in paying the money uds fish said the king let him keep hawed by the strong hand against the carl until we can take some order about his affairs alas insisted the goldsmith if it like your majesty your own pacific government and your doing of equal justice to all men has made main force a kittle line to walk by unless just within the bounds of the highlands well weel weel man said the perplexed monarch whose ideas of justice expedience and convenience became on such occasions strangely embroiled just it is we should pay our debts that the young man may pay his and he must be paid and in wherebo regis he shall be paid but how to come by the sillerman is a difficult chapter he bond try the city geordie to say the truth answered harriet please your gracious majesty what betwixt loans and benevolences and subsidies the city is at this present dona tell me of what the city is said king james our exchequer is as dry as dean giles's discourses on the penitentiary psalms ex nihilo nihil fit it's ill taking the breeks aff a wild highland man they that came to me for siller should tell me how to come by it the city ye maun try harried and done a thing to be called jingling geordie for nothing and in werebo regis i will pay the lad if you get me the loan i wannot haggle on the terms and between you and me geordie we will redeem the brave old estate of glenvarlock but wherefore comes not the young lord to court harriet is he comely is he presentable in the presence no one can be more so said george harriet but i i understand ye said his majesty i understand ye race augusta domi pure lad pure lad and his father a right true leal scots heart though stiff in some opinions hark ye harriet let the lad have twee hundred pounds to fit him out and here here taking the carcinet of rubies from his old hat ye have had these in pledge before for a larger sum ye old levite that ye are keep them in gage till i give ye back the siller out of the next subsidy 
if it please your majesty to give me such directions in writing said the cautious citizen the deal is in your nicety george said the king ye are as precise as a puritan in form and a mere nullifidian in the mirror of the matter may not a king's word serve you for advancing your pitiful twey hundred pounds but not for detaining the crown jewels said george harriet and the king who from long experience was inured to dealing with suspicious creditors wrote an order upon george harriet his well-beloved goldsmith and jeweller for the sum of two hundred pounds to be paid presently to nigel oliphant lord of glenvarlock to be imputed as so much debts due to him by the crown and authorizing the retention of a carcinet of bala rubies with a great diamond as described in a catalogue of his majesty's jewels to remain in possession of the said george harriet advancer of the said sum and so forth until he was lawfully contented and paid thereof by another rescript his majesty gave the said george harriet directions to deal with some of the moneyed men upon equitable terms for a sum of money for his majesty's present use not to be under fifty thousand mercs but as much more as could conveniently be procured and has he only lair this lord nigel of ours said the king george harriet could not exactly answer this question but believed the young lord had studied abroad he shall have our own advice said the king how to carry on his studies to maist advantage and it may be we will have him come to court and study with steenie and baby charles and now we think on't away away george for the bairns will be coming hame presently and we would not as yet they can of this matter we have been treating anent propare fetum o oh, geordie clap your mule between your bows and god den with you thus ended the conference betwixt the gentle king jamie and his benevolent jeweller and goldsmith End of chapter five